The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He has made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and are blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion and forever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Keep Revelation open right in front of you. Thank you, Kevin, for that. Um, I have a question as we listen to that. And and the question is, I want us to imagine, I really do, I want us to imagine if Jesus in the flesh walked through those back doors, walked down the aisle, climbed the stairs, walked over and took the mic, would we yield the mic to him? And how would we listen to what he has to say? 
And my, my hope for us as a church is that once we picked ourselves up off our face on the floor, that if Jesus was here in our midst addressing us, that uh, we would hang on every syllable, that we would be on the edge of our seat, that our, that our hands would be gripping the seat in front of us, listening to what the Lord has to say to us. Now, the beauty of it is that that situation is not theoretical. Jesus is in our midst, and he is speaking to his church. Do you believe that? And I want to show us today from Revelation 1 that that is a true, that it's true in all of the Bible, but that as we come into this series, as these letters are written to these seven churches, that the Lord of the churches is speaking to his church, and he has something to say. And that it would, it, would, it would benefit us, it would bless us, as the opening of Revelation say, to hear and to heed what he is speaking to his church. And so this is what we want to do in this series. We want to we hear the heart of the Lord and what he is saying as Lord of the church to his churches. Now, um, in, in order to glean the most we can out of this, this, this study through these seven letters to these seven churches, uh, we need to understand a bit of the context of this book that we find these letters in. Uh, many of you, probably, uh, probably the majority of you in the room, have studied or read through the book of Revelation at some point in your right. Is that right? And, and, and you know how we can get deep into the book and there's all this symbolism and imagery and you're like, what is, at times we're like, what is happening right now? Are you with me? And so, so important that we understand a bit of the context around the book of Revelation so that we can glean the most from these seven letters we're going to study in the seven weeks that follow. Now, um, the first few verses of Revelation can help us with that context. And so I want you to think about today's sermon really in, in kind of two different sections. I'm going to use verses 1 through 8 to set the context of the book of Revelation as a whole, the context of this series as a whole. And then as we get to verse 9, that's really the crux of the message I have for us today. But, but look in your Bibles, Revelation 1, verse 1, it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So the first thing we got to understand about the book of Revelation, ready? It's a mind blower. Are you ready for it? It is a, it's a revelation. That's what we're told right away. This is a revelation. Uh, and, and I want you to look. We're going to do, do some We're gonna do some good Bible study today. You with me? You ready? And I'm fired up, all right? And so I've already given my wife to, like, give me the lower sign if I get going too much today. I want you to look back at verse 1. The revelation of who? This is Jesus' revelation. Don't lose sight of that. Jesus is revealing something. And so I want us to understand how this revelation was revealed. The first thing we want to understand is that the Father gave it to the Son. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, which God gave him, the Father gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. 
Now, how did Jesus go about making it known? So the revelation's being revealed. The Father gave it to the Son, who made it known through his angel to who? Who did he make it known to? To John. John, who had walked with Jesus, John, a disciple, uh, the angel came and made this revelation known to John. Verse 2 then tells us that John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And so the father gave it to the son, who made it known through his angel to John, who bore witness of this to Christ's servants. And so John is just bearing witness. John is just saying what he's seeing, this revelation that the Lord is giving him. Now, it's so important that we understand, and I think many of us understand this about the book of Revelation. That's why there's so much intrigue around studying it. Go back to verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. The book of Revelation is revealing the things that are to come. It is apocalyptic literature. God making known the things that are to come, especially the things that are to come in the last times. And so this is what is being revealed to John. Now, the question is, how, well, before I get there, we can't miss what verse 3 said. What does verse 3 tells, tell us? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who what? We're going to be blessed if we hear this and we keep this. You believe the word of God? There's a blessing in us studying this and announcing and pronouncing the word of God aloud and hearing what God has to say to us and in keeping it. So we want to hear it and we want to heed it. So John is going to reveal this revelation. Y'all with me still? I need some feedback in this series, okay? All right? How is he going to go about revealing this revelation? In the form of a letter. How do we know that? Look at what verse 4 says. John, the writer, John, to who? To the seven churches that are in Asia. I, John, am recording this revelation that I'm seeing, and I'm recording it and writing it to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, a map on the screen, uh, screen, as we think about these seven churches, we're talking about seven actual churches, historical churches in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey. And in, in these seven churches, I know I've given the, I've given the, the, the names away already because verse uh, later in the chapter, we're told the names of these churches. But I want us to understand something. These aren't the only seven churches that there were at the time in Asia Minor. There were more churches. Uh, why, why are these churches addressed and maybe not Colossae or another church addressed? Um, I believe as, as these seven churches are addressed, in addressing these seven churches, these, these issues that are addressed are representative of the churches in Asia Minor at the time. And so in, represent, in, in addressing these seven churches, and seven is such a significant number in the book of Revelation, we'll talk more about that. John is addressing the church in Asia Minor at the time, but even more so. G.K. Beale argues, and I believe convincingly, that as, as these seven churches are addressed, not only is it representative of the churches in Asia Minor at that time, it's representative of the issues that the Lord seeks to address in the church universal throughout all of time. 
And, and I want to prove that to you as we get into these letters. That is, as the Spirit of Christ is addressing some things in those churches in that place then, it's been recorded in God's infallible word for us to hear and heed as this church, Redeemer Bible Church, right here today. You believe that with me? So the Lord has something to say to us in this. And so it's a letter written to these seven churches, and now this greeting continues. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And then he says this, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. John, I'm writing to you, the seven churches, now a greeting, grace to you and peace. And what I believe this greeting says is grace to you and peace from the Father, from the Spirit, and from the Son. Grace to you, now let me prove that to you. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, the Father. Grace to you, verse 5, let me skip the spirit part. Verse 5 says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the Son. Those two are pretty clear. Now, I'm arguing today, I'm going to lay before us today, that when it says grace and peace to you from the seven spirits who are before us thrown, I believe John is referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, I can't just say that to you. i got to prove that to you, and I don't have much time to prove that to you, okay? So I'm going to go as fast as I can, and then you be a good Berean, and you go study it yourself, and you, think, you say if you think I'm right about it, okay? Seven spirits are mentioned four times in the book of Revelation. Each mention seems to bear the context of a reference to the Holy Spirit. This is the first tally in my category, okay? So why doesn't he just say Holy Spirit? Uh, the number seven carries significant meaning throughout the whole book of Revelation. I've already said that once. I'm going to say it again. It carries significant meaning throughout the book of Revelation. And it always refers to a, a, a completeness, a wholeness, a perfection. And so I think when John is describing the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits, he's trying to communicate a completeness, a wholeness, a perfection. Now, maybe the most convincing, the reference also seems to look back to Isaiah 11, in which the Spirit is described in a sevenfold way. So I believe what John is doing is he's referring to the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits to refer to a complete and perfect ministry that the Holy Spirit is going to accomplish throughout what we'll read in the rest of this revelation. That's a lot to say. What I believe this greeting says is grace to you and peace from the Father, from the Spirit, from the Son. And then verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. I skipped something. Go back up. End of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So John says, stay with me now. John says, I'm writing to you seven churches, grace to you in peace from the Father, from the Spirit, from the Son. And after he greets them uh, and gives grace and peace from the Son, the whole rest of this chapter is about that Son. 
He explodes into a doxology about the son that we just read. And there's, we have to listen. Okay, time out. What revelation reveals about who our Lord is? Like it has to stir the affections of those who are true followers of him in this room today. Like there's no way that blood-bought, spirit-indwelled followers of Jesus can just sit and listen to these things and be like, hmm, I wonder if the cults will pull it off here today. I'm telling you, the rest of this chapter is all about Jesus. John explodes into this doxology about Jesus. He loves us and he's freed us from our sins by his blood. And all God's people said, and he's made us, he's not just freed us, he's not just loved us, and it's not just like, hey, you're free, like, good luck. No, he's made us a kingdom, a priest to his God and Father. To Christ be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. And then think about this, behold, he is coming with the clouds. He's coming back. We just celebrated Advent. There will be a second Advent. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, in Franklin the other night, like 3,000 uh, houses were without power. My wife wakes up at 1.30, and it's dead silent in our house, and she's like, the Lord, he's coming. <laughs> Which, like, I was so impressed by how spiritual she was in that moment. I'm like, how do we get heat in our house right now? <laughs> he's coming back. And listen to what it says about when he comes back. He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Think about the times you've heard someone wail. Think about the occasions that lead to wailing. Picture what that's going to be like, Jesus followers. I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All of this, all of this by way of just trying to introduce the book. And I know it's like drinking out of a fire hose right now. But as you study the book of Revelation, every time I study the book of Revelation, I have to try to come back and simplify it in my mind. What is the book of Revelation about? Let me try to simplify it for us. Understanding Revelation. John is writing a letter that reveals a vision Jesus gave him about the things to come. Okay? So as you get into the book of Revelation, when you're studying it personally, all the symbols, you're like, what is going on? Just try to remember. John's writing. He's trying to communicate and reveal a vision Jesus gave him about the things to come. This vision is to elevate our worship of Jesus, who's Lord of the things to come, as we hear and heed what he has to say. The end of the day, without trying, without, with, with danger of oversimplifying, just try to simplify what this book is about. Now, we roll right out of this doxology, this worship of who Jesus is, into a vision John receives of the ascended Christ. Amazing doesn't even, the word amazing doesn't even do it justice. 
It's awe-inducing. It's powerful. And I want to show us from the rest of this chapter, and the rest of this chapter, the whole purpose of it is that we would prepare our hearts for what Jesus wants to say to his church and the letters that are to come. But we have to see more of the one speaking. But the whole rest of this, this chapter is really about this big idea. Christ is Lord of his churches in the midst of his churches, speaking to his churches. May we hear and heed what he is saying. Father, we do believe that your church is the bride of your son, that he is in our midst, that Jesus, you are speaking, that you want to guide and lead and direct, you want to encourage and spur us on, you want to correct and convict, Lord, you want us to respond to the word that you are giving us. Thank you for your word where you've recorded these things. We can come and we can gather in a room and we can lay your word before you. We can let you speak and your spirit works powerfully to drive that deep into our hearts and to accomplish that which you seek to accomplish. God, do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse nine, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And so John, he tells us, and we'll pull this map back up, uh, he's, he's been exiled onto the island of Patmos. And why does he say uh, that he's been sent there? He's been a partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He has been sent there because of his testimony to the word of God and his witness to Jesus Christ. The persecution has led him to exile on this island. He's writing from this island where he received this revelation and he's writing back to these seven churches. And verse 11 commands him, write what you see in a book. And now he's going to turn and he's going to see the one who's saying these things. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. You ready? Are you ready? And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead First thing, church, to prepare our hearts for what 
our Lord has to say to us in this series. Let us worship Christ as the majestic Lord of his churches. I use the word majestic on purpose. What we have in John turning and seeing the ascended Christ addressing him is one of the most powerful descriptions of the majesty, the deity, the authority of who our Lord is. And now it's so important that we understand the fullness of this whole description. Because, right, if we just, if we just saw this thing in, 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 in whole and just took the physical descriptions in and of themselves, we, we would be blown away. But then you break down why Jesus looks the way he does. And you see how the description John sees is a fulfillment of all kinds of Old Testament prophecies that proclaim that Jesus really is the Son of Man and he really is God. I want, I want us to see this. So let's walk through this. This majestic Christ. It'll be on the screen. This majestic Christ. It says he, he turns and he sees in the midst of the seven lampstands one like a son of man. Uh, it's one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself while he had his earthly ministry. He'd often refer to himself as the son of man. But it's this fulfillment of, of a Daniel 7 reality in which Daniel saw, well, I saw one like a son of man. And how, what's he wearing? He's wearing a long robe and a golden sash, proclaiming that he is the perfect and final high priest, a, a, a connection to this Daniel 10 reality of which Daniel saw in his vision. It says he, he with white hair like wool, corresponds again to Daniel's vision in Daniel 7, with flaming eyes. What Daniel describes in Daniel 10, and bronze feet, again in the book of Daniel. And then it says he has a thundering voice. It's the same description uh, used of the voice of God in the book of Ezekiel. John is pulling out that this one he turns and sees is not, it's not merely just a, a man or a slave. He is God, fully God. It says he's holding the seven stars. Now, we use our cheat sheet. Later in the chapter, we're told what the seven stars and the seven lampstands are. Verse 20 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He's holding the angels of these churches in his right hand. The church is his. The church is his. He is Lord of the church. He's to be worshiped as Lord of the church. He's holding the seven stars with a two-edged sword from his mouth. The, the, the power of the, the judging power of the word of God, as Isaiah 11 would describe it. And he's got a radiant face corresponding to Moses and Exodus 34 and other places where he'd meet with the Lord and he'd come down and his face will be glowing. John's saying, this is the greater Moses. He is here. Now, let me ask you this. How, again, as blood-bought, spirit-indwelled followers of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, can we possibly read this and, and, and think, think of anything else as worthy of our worship? 
And the question I just want to lay to us, how does your understanding of who Jesus is compare to what John just saw here? Come on, think about that. No, really think about it. How does your view of who Jesus is compare to the description of what John just gave us here? Is Jesus for you merely a good self-help teacher? Helping you and you can find yourself in a jam. Is Jesus for you merely just a good moral compass? He helps me make some better decisions with my life. Is Jesus for you a get out of hell free card with little to no interest of him actually being Lord of your life? Is Jesus for you a genie to get you what you want? Or a guide to get you where you want to go? A good partner riding shotgun as you drive the direction of your life? Or will we let the word of God speak? And will we see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, as fully God, as the son of man, as the perfect high priest, as the refining fire, as the greater Moses and the greater David, who he will run his church and he will judge his earth. And he always has, he is now, and he always will be Jesus Christ, Lord of all. Which one of those do we want? Do we really want to be in control asking this Savior to bow to our whims, or will we bow to him? That's the question. Listen, for American believers especially, y'all, me and that's the question for us. Jesus doesn't exist to get me what I want and where I want to go. I exist for his glory. And if I ever forget it, Brock, get your face back in Revelation 1. Because how can we read this and look around and think any of these fake, stupid, demigod idols are worthy of worship like that? How do we read this and go, yeah, 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 but man, my money. Man, my stuff. Man, my pleasure. Man, my accomplishments. Man, me. How can we read this? No. Can we just say, to start this series, and everything that the Lord has to say to us, he is Lord of his church. And we're going to worship him like that. Now, good news, good news. This is not just a description of some far off deity with no interest in his people. Is that good news? Can you imagine if, what was, if, if who was just described here didn't have compassion on his people? And yet he's near Second thing I want us to see from this, let us see Christ in the midst of his churches. Let us see Christ in the midst of his churches. Why do I say that? Look back at verse 12. It says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Remember, use our cheat sheet. Verse 20 is our cheat sheet. What are the seven golden lampstands? They're what? They're the churches. So he turns and he sees um, seven golden lampstands, and where is this one like a son of man? Verse 13, where is this one like the son of man? He's in the midst of the lampstands. This Savior is in the midst of his churches. 
He's not separated from his churches. He's not off at a a distance. He is here among us. He is with us. Bruce Metzger said it like this. When John says he saw Christ in the midst of the lampstands, he wants to let us know that Christ is not an absentee landlord. On the contrary, he is in the midst of his churches, supporting them during trials and persecutions. Praise be to God. This one just described in all of his majesty, deity, power, and authority is in our midst. He's here. He's comforting. He's encouraging. He's prodding. He's leading. He's convicting. He's calling us as we sang about this morning. And man, we better sing that song every week for this series. I love it. He's calling us back to himself right here in our midst. Are you encouraged by this? No, like really tangibly in your head. Like, don't just say yes because the preacher asked a question, right? Like, Jesus, yes, and God in the Bible. Are you encouraged by this? He is in our midst. Now, he's in the midst of his churches. Only the places that worship him as Lord are his churches. You can throw C-H-U-R-C-H on the side of a building and you can get some government filings and it doesn't mean it's a church. I only got one amen on that one. (laughs) He is in the midst of his churches that are truly churches. Where Jesus Christ is worshiped as Lord, where the word of God is preached, where the body of believers are fellowshipping together, where where baptism and communion are being uh, celebrated and remembered, where there's church restoration and discipline happening to bring wayward believers back into the fold. Jesus is in the midst of his churches. He's guiding all of that. And now in the midst, he's speaking. He desires to be Lord of his churches. He has something to say to his churches. That is exactly what we're about to launch into. What is the spirit of Christ communicating to his church. This third thing, write it down as this. Let us hear Christ as he speaks to his churches. Look at what it says here in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. First, just think about that. That that response is written by one who walked with Jesus for three years on earth. If he fell down dead at this site, what would we do? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. He's got the keys to death and Hades. They're in his hands. Like I hold the broken key in my 2007 Honda Pilot. Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. Now, what does he say in verse 19? First word of verse 19. Right. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. He's commanded John again to write. Jesus has something to say to his churches. Verse 11 said the same thing. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Uh, Earlier, uh, right away in verse 1, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made this known to his servant John, and then John bore this witness. What Jesus is communicating as Lord of the church 
in the midst of the church is that he has something to say. And John's going to receive these revelations and he's going to pen these letters to each of these churches. And when the Lord of the church who's in the midst of the churches has something to say to his churches, it's probably good that his church would hear and heed what he has to say. You with me? So how will we hear what he has to say to us in this series? No, really, I want us to hear. Redeemer Bible Church, God has done great things in our midst. In the first six and a half years of our life, but I don't want to just settle on what he's done in our midst in the past. I want to hear what he has to say to us right now. And then I want to obey what he's telling us to do. And I want to be the people he wants us to be. And I don't ever want to come to this place where like his glory is robbed and we start doing our own thing and not just listening to what the Lord of the church is telling us to do. I don't want to do that. We all know how easily that could happen. Yeah, man, it started like a great work of God. And, and, and then, and then just, it, we just started running an agenda and doing our own thing. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's respond to it. And let's follow in what he's calling us to do and to be as his church. Towards the end of every one of these letters... For the next seven weeks, in each of these seven letters, you'll come almost to the end and you'll find this phrase in every single one. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, give us ears to hear. You with me? God, drain us of our pride that thinks that we can just read these things and understand it. Like, give us ears to hear. What are you saying to us? What are you telling us to do? Who are you telling us to become? Where are you telling us to go? You are Lord of your church. We are not. God, give us ears to hear. So I just wanna, I want us to prepare for these weeks and what the Lord has with just a prayer of preparation. You might just fold up your stuff and just kind of free up your hands. I'm telling you, y'all, if you've studied these letters before, you know it. If you haven't, let me warn you. God's got some things to say to us coming. And our heart's got to be ready to hear it. He's going to call out a church that's lost its first love. He's going to call out a people who've settled for lukewarmness. He's going to call out a church who's just allowed a bunch of sinfulness to, to infiltrate. 
And in all of that, he's got words and warnings and encouragements for us. So the prayer preparation, you are Lord. You are among us. And you are speaking. Give me ears to hear what your spirit has to say. Just take a few quiet moments and pray that yourself. Christ, this is his church, we're in, he's in our midst, he has something to say, this is his, he's, he's worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, let's just sing this together in closing. <clears throat> 